Hey guys, and welcome to a brand new episode of Nerds Talk Movies. My name is Taylor, and I'm going to be your host today. Joining me for this amazing episode is none other than Drew Garrison. Drew, how you doing today? I'm feeling pretty invincible, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Dang it, Drew. I had a whole thing I was going to be like, today we we're talking about... And then I wasn't going to say the word. I was going to let it go. That only but, works in a yeah. visual medium, man. We, we don't even no, have I was the gonna... uh, rights for the sound. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just going to do it very lazily. Just no audio there whatsoever. Uh, but yeah, we were talking about Invincible. It's, it's a long time coming. Uh, we've done this before. On well, this you've podcast. done this before. <laughs> well, yeah, I've done this before. Me and Tristan, I think it was our first... More second episode ever together. Uh, we did a spoiler talk on Invincible, and we did our usual shtick, uh, where we, you know, do the whole intro. I think we had a prelude, all that stuff. We're not doing that again today. All right, we're gonna get right into the meat and potatoes. All right, because season two is coming out soon. We're recording this at the midpoint of October. So we got a few weeks here until season two ramps up here. And I could not be any more excited. And one of the reasons why is because we rewatched season one to prepare for this episode. And I got to say, man, this was worth rewatching. I think it makes the show, just to get my general thoughts, I'm going to let you go because you haven't gotten your full thoughts out on Invincible yet, uh, other than our Adam Eve episode. Thank you, thank you. I think it turns what I think is a near-perfect season, other than, I would say, the Amber stuff, and it just makes it even better because you have the full context, and you can catch things early on and be like, oh, man, oh, this makes so much more sense later on in the season, too. And you just, I don't know, it makes the characters, I think, better, too, uh, in the long run. But as you were saying, Drew... Yeah, so as I was saying as I was saying before, I recently had to read the entire Invincible Run for an episode on Longbox Hunters. If it's up, go check it out. Uh yeah, but I got to reread the entire story. I got to bing season one. It's like I'm a huge Invincible fan. You guys have no idea. Or probably you have, because I'm pretty sure I've mentioned how Alan the Alien is the greatest thing since sliced bread multiple times. But, uh, yeah, man, yeah, man, I rewatched it again, rewatched season one again for the upcoming season, and, like, I really wanted to talk about it since I didn't get to talk about the podcast. One at Tristan here, but, you know, I guess the three amigos gotta wait for a bit. Yeah, he didn't want to watch the full season again. I get it, he's... Yeah, I get fair. it. He's not he's not as much of an invisible fan as I am, and it's it's this is not like Green Lantern. Now, this is Green Lantern. Tristan would read every single issue down the line for for um any upcoming Green Lantern. Uh but this is Green Lantern, this is not. But Invincible is one of my favorite stories. Love it. Can't wait to see what they do with uh season two with season two. I have a feeling they're gonna change where the storyline goes a bit. Not fully, but like a bit, because some of the some of the stuff in the commercial makes me think, wait, 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 wait a minute, are they doing this? Uh, but it's like I gotta just see where it goes, man. I'm so excited though. Oh, oh man, I can't wait to talk yeah, about this. I, yeah, I haven't seen much 
for season two. I remember the announcement trailer where they announced it was coming out in November. But I don't really even remember anything that was shown in it. So I've been blind going in. You mean you don't remember them showing Peter Cullen? Peter Cullen, Optimus Prime himself. I know the voice actors that are involved. I don't want to know who they're playing. I, well, that's not going to give me anything because I don't really know any of the other characters because I've been trying to keep myself spoiler-free for the comics, too. Uh, I know like a lot of the voice actors because of that announcement trailer, but I don't like remember anything content-wise that was shown. And hilariously enough, just for the sake of when we're recording this, I compare that to like Spider-Man 2 the Insomniac game coming out, because that's coming out later this week. I've been very good at staying off the internet to not see anything about it. (laughs) I barely go on social media as is, which is a problem because I I need to advertise there, but uh, one problem at a time. But holy holy crap, once I saw that first trailer, I knew I didn't need to see anything else. I don't need to know. For Invincible? No, 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 for Spider-Man. Because I brought up Spider-Man. Okay, okay, I was just making sure. Yeah, for Spider-Man. I don't need to see anything else. It's like, I know this game is going to be fire. They already did they already did the Miles Morales sequel game, which is basically like uh, like I don't want to call it an expansion pack, but it's short enough to where I feel like it's an expansion pack. Which was great, except for the horrible version of the Tinker, but that's the point. Earlier on, you said, I believe that Invincible Season 1 or you said the Invincible comic was fire. You know what else is fire, Drew? What is fire? Invincible Season 1. So, I already kind of shared my thoughts already. I think it is as perfect as you can get of a first season. I have one problem with it. It's the same problem everyone has, isn't it? Yeah, it's the same one. It doesn't make it better on a rewatch. It actually made me want to skip it. I didn't, but I felt the need to because I'm like, I get it. Yeah. I know what happens here. So it made me want to skip their scenes together. Other than that, man, I don't mind that animation isn't the best sometimes because it makes up for it in so many different ways. And I think the biggest way it does is the writing and the setup. Like, yeah. this show is a masterclass in setting things up for the future. And, like, one of the examples I'll say to this is the character called Battle Beast. <laughs> this guy shows oh. up in a what you would think is a bottle episode or a side mission episode. And that's another great thing the show does. It's side missions matter, and they keep setting it up like it adds on to Mark's journey to become a hero, and it then goes into season two with, oh man, there's all these developments. What's going to happen with the Martians? What's going to (laughs) happen with that ridiculous scientist who has these (laughs) molten minions now? Like, there's so many, like Titan, that's another one, like, there's so many side missions they're going to get continued, I assume, in Season 2 and beyond. And in ba- with Battle Beast, the thing is, is they introduced this guy in the Titan episode as a mercenary. And you're like, oh, okay. This is, you've seen, if you've seen the superhero show before, you're like, okay, they're just going to get beat up by the heroes. No. This guy is presented 
from his initial fight on as, oh, he can fuck up everybody in this room. And I feel like if Omni-Man showed up, we're going to have a good fight on our hands. And he came out of nowhere. Out of fucking nowhere, Drew. Like, that is so well set up to me because the audience never sees it coming. Uh, And that's just one example. Like, we can go with the Guardians of the Globe. How they're set up as this Justice League team. And they all have this great moral compass. And they're easily, like, Darkwing in particular. That's fucking Batman. (laughs) <laughs> like, straight up. Red Rush, Flash. He's just rushing Flash. And mm-hmm. then you have that big thing to where they have an entire episode where, yeah, it's just a coming-of-age superhero story. That's what you're going to get. And the credits start. <laughs> but the show's not over. Oh, no. Talking <laughs> starts to happen. And then the Guardians of the Globe get called back to HQ. And then we get the same with Omni-Man killing the Guardians of the Globe. Like, this show is so good at setup and it's writing other than the amber mark stuff it i I, i'm i say that and i don't mean to harp on it but it's the only thing in this show that i think is written poorly everything else is a 10 out of 10 writing wise to me uh so drew i'm gonna quit talking it's your turn man you haven't really gotten a chance to go off other than the adam eve episode we did a few weeks back so go off, man. Talk about Invincible Season 1. Well, let's get the one bad thing out of the way first, because I don't want to harp on uh, this relationship and everything. So, yeah, Amber and Mark's relationship was one thing that was initially cute. You saw the cracks in it that was Mark trying to balance his life as a superhero while also trying to have his normal life with it. It's like, it's the classics. It's the classic stuff. And honestly, we haven't had it in a while, so I was honestly just... Glad to see Mark dealing with that. Then the college episode happened. And, well, the episode right after, which is basically the finale. And, ooh, Oh, my God. The stuff surrounding Amber and Mark and that secret. And, like, oh, I already figured it out. It's like, okay, that's an interesting way of putting it. But then the college episode is now retroactively really makes her character bad. It's like, it's one thing if she figured it out, confronted Mark, say, hey, you don't need to keep this secret from me. I figured it out. Oh, I like you as Invin- I like you as Invincible. I like you as Mark. Let's try and work this out. All you had to do was that. Instead, you make it so that way she lies straight to Mark for no reason. And while, and while Mark lied to her, like a lot of people want to bring it up, Mark lied to her. It's his secret identity. He's not supposed to tell her. They've been dating for, what, a few months at most? I don't think it's been a semester, even. Yeah, I don't buy the whole, like, oh, we were getting serious, you should have told me. Like, you guys have been dating for a few months at most in this show. It's just, uh, it's it's not great. Like, it's, it's the one thing, again, it's the one thing in the writing where I'd be like, that's just the lazy part of it. Like, it felt like you guys could have done a lot better there. Especially yeah. compared to everything else in the show. And what's more bothersome about it, too, is it's hard to even sympathize with Amber. Because I think what the show's trying to say is like, hey, you want to be invincible, fine. But you can't be in this serious relationship and have these horrible excuses and lie to me about it. And then his friends tell Mark the same thing. Like, yeah, you're a shitty boyfriend. What did you expect? Like, yeah, 
sure, but I don't know, man. It was just it felt like the other characters were being written with not the full situation of what their relationship was like or Amber for some reason knowing the whole time. Yeah, in my thought in my thought process, when they wrote this down, they were dating a lot longer than what was initially shown. The problem was is that it's not really shown and you would think that there would be something brought up because they talk about oh they're having a break and my thought was okay so it's probably like either spring break or thanksgiving break that means that they've been dating for like a couple months two months at most whichever one but it's like they haven't been dating that long they weren't getting serious so it's like you can't really see from it from that point of view and everyone telling him that Marquis was like a shitty boyfriend. It's like, okay, yeah, he was a shitty boyfriend, but no, you should not like be on Amber's side when the whole thing is a secret identity. It's like even the um comics said, hey, protect your secret identity. It's a pretty big deal. Even though it was a cliche, it's like, yeah, you still gotta do it. Hell uh, Eve <laughs> even told tells him earlier in the season, like yeah, do what you want, but it's a big deal once you reveal who you are to somebody. Mm-hmm. And then by the end of the season, it did kind of feel like everybody's secret identities were out to their friends. And it was like, hey, all right, so I guess it's just, it's fine. I don't mind that. It's not like I want it to be, for example, in like the classic Spider-Man, where Spider-Man has a secret identity around Mary Jane and Harry and everybody he knows, and he has to keep it a secret. I actually prefer it when a few people know. Yeah. Harry, I can understand. Like, keeping a secret from Harry because Norman's his dad, and Harry has this weak point with telling Norman stuff. So I can assume, I can be a, on Peter's back with keeping it from Harry. It's the other characters that Peter's close with I don't get. It's like, Gwen Stacy, if she's alive in an adaptation, have no idea why you would, he would keep it from her. Mary Jane... It depends on how long they know each other, but yeah, if they're if they're in their serious relationship, no way that it should be kept a secret. Ugh. Yeah, and then it was just also I know I, Tristan and I when we were doing the spoiler talk, our reasoning, our rationale for it were like, yeah, they're teenagers, they're idiots, they're emotional all the time. Like it is what it is. But it, to me, it's the vitriol of the breakup that I was like, God, man, this is just it makes Amber look so bad. It, and then it makes the ending where they get back together, and that's, that's what I'm implying. I'm like, eh, no, I don't want to see it, just because Amber really came off looking so bad. Off of one scene, that's the sad part. <laughs> she looked pretty, like, she was a pretty good character, especially with somebody with no superpowers in a superhero show. That's pretty impressive to be like, yeah... I don't hate her whenever she's on screen. I enjoy the scenes with her in it. But then it's the stuff whenever she's just, especially whenever she's like, I knew the whole time. Fly away, fly boy. And then you think about the scenes earlier. And then, like I was saying on the rewatch, like wanting to skip past those scenes. Because now I had the context of knowing, oh, she knew this the whole time and she still acted so mean towards yeah. him at some point. It's like, you know what he's doing. I know he's terrible with time management, but. It's kind of hard to be a dick about it. Yeah. <laughs> he's saving lives. Yeah, it's like he's he's trying to save lives. He's trying to balance 
being the hero with being the uh, good boyfriend. And it's not like he doesn't, he just shows up with an excuse. He keeps trying to show up with stuff for her to show that he is interested in the relationship. Yeah. To be fair, his excuses are horrible. Like, absolutely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, they are, oh, this kid is a superhero <laughs> or he's a serial killer level of horrible excuses. Like, there is no in between. No, no, no. Serial killers at least have better excuses. But, um, <laughs> I, but um, I wanted to talk about that once. I, yeah, I want to talk about that one scene and everything. Because I feel like I get why that one scene completely ruined her character. It retroactively yeah. makes every scene with her, including the bus scene, because we knew like that happened like a few days before they go off to the um, college. It's like we know she knows at that point Mark is invincible. So her acting like him not showing up is this huge thing. It's like, okay, he might not be giving out food, but he's saving people's lives. He's pretty much doing the ultimate community service. Yeah, it's just, like I was saying, it makes every scene on rewatch with her, you dislike the character now. Yeah. To which, on the first watch, you're like, oh, this is cute, and these characters are great together, and Amber's pretty cool. And then it's just, and Zazie Beats, by the way, does a great job. She really yeah. does in the role. It's just that the material there just assassinated her character on the spot, and it's just unfortunate. And I really hope Season two can fix it. It's a long road, I think. Though. But see, for me, like I feel as though they shouldn't have gotten them back together. Yes, that happened in the comics, but that scene pretty much makes it so that way you don't want to see them back together. Getting them as friends would be a lot better because then there's no expectation of their relationship. You can see Mark hang out with Amber. Maybe she's her his guy in the chair for a bit, but otherwise, it's like. I just don't want to see them in a relationship. You've gone too far and the emotions that happened around their breakup is just, yeah, this doesn't feel like it's recoverable. You got, they weren't that close to be like, Oh, we can somehow come back from this. I'm glad we got this out of the way early. Like it was, Hey, this season's awesome. Invincible's awesome. Let's talk about the elephant in the room. The one bad thing from the show. And then let's get to all the good stuff. Yeah, and we can get on to all the good stuff. Uh, the first thing I want to bring up, Drew, we don't have any topics, by the way. We have no notes. I want oh, to no, go we're going off completely, completely off cuff, and I love it. The one thing I want to talk about first is the title cards. The whole <laughs> running joke of, hey, who are you? Oh, I'm cut da, to the music. Da, invincible. Da, da, da. Fantastic. Like, I hope that continues going forward. I'm not sure the blood splatter is going to fix. Maybe they like clean it off in season two. Or maybe they like, change like the effects to be like cracks or something to show breaking bones mm-hmm. or something. But the reason I'm bringing this up is because I didn't want to forget it. I actually messaged you in an effort to keep it in my brain. <laughs> One of I the was coldest gonna bring it up. lines in the show was in the finale where they're about to cut and it goes to the Guardians of the Globe, and everybody's like, oh shit, Omni-Man's the bad guy. Oh man, Invincible's the only shot we get. And uh, I think Cecil was like, hey, I'll call you guys if I need you. And Rex was going like, what are we going to do? Uh, he's going to get killed out there, or something like that. And Rudy gives one of the coldest lines I heard in the show, other than Omni-Man saying anything. And that was, <laughs> indeed, if 
Mark is going to face his father and survive. He will need to be. And then it cuts to Tyler Card. Every time I hear that, I get goosebumps in my arms. It doesn't even, I, I don't know why. I don't think that it's a popular take there, but it just gets me every fucking time. I'm like, yeah, he will. And you know what happens in the show. He just gets his ass beat. But it still feels, and this is getting into the fight, I kind of feel like, yeah, he gets his ass beat. Oh, but totally. I still, I kind of feel like, I don't want to say he wins, but he wins in a way that pisses Omni-Man off and causes him to run off. Thousands of lives were lost, but how many did he actually save Yeah, getting Omni-Man to run away? Like, hearing his mom go, I'm so proud of you, and Cecil say, like, hey, man, you did a hell of a thing. At first watch, you go, eh, they're just kind of saying, hey, great attempt, kid, but that did not work. But on the rewatch, I kind of started going, I'm like, Mark just standing up to his dad and keep being the punching bag for him over and over and refusing to give up or give in to what he was going for. He saved so many lives in retrospect. Taylor? You have no idea how much I'm smiling right now because <laughs> I am glad you pulled all that up. Ooh, are you, I want to like let you have your piece first. Are you done? Oh, I'm done. It is all yours, my friend. Okay, so the reason I love the title cards as well and everything you just said was, one, the blood spatter was funny. I didn't recognize it till like episode three that like, it was getting progressively bloodier. But, um... I also really want to say, like, the whole thing with it is that it's also kind of a neat nod showing that Mark is invincible. His body is not. (laughs) Heck no, it is not. But his morals are. That is the thing with Mark. He still wants to do the right thing. He believes that in his dad. He he was like, he actually gives reasonable responses in a superhero universe it's like oh you're being mind controlled or like someone tricked you or whatever it's like like people say like oh he's like denying reality it's like no that's legitimately something that can happen in this superhero universe but um i but i like the fact that mark keeps towards his values and roles he doesn't break in them and that's what makes him invincible that's why his name is important because while he his body might not be invincible his um, his spirit is. That is what makes um, Invincible so awesome, and it's something that you are going to see tested and put to, through the ringer as we go through the animated series. <laughs> oh, man. But, um, Do you think I'm off at all by saying that, though? Because I felt like I was kind of... I could see somebody make the argument like, no, Mark just got his ass kicked, man. You're thinking too much about it. Ah, no, 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 no. You're not off. Like... That like that is Mark to a T. Mark is someone who is one hundred percent trying to like be there for a person and do the right thing, but he is also like he he like he got his ass beat. There's no question. He got his ass beat, but he is like still trying to consult to consult to his father. He's gonna stand up to him. That's Mark to a T. You got him. Like you understand him, man. And that's the thing I love about season one. We understand Mark in those episodes. Now season two is coming up. You're going to see him go through his character arcs, and they're going to be fun and sad, but happy, and oh, you're going to go through the ringer, man. Yeah. Another thing I love about this, like, the big fight at the end, too, 
Uh, it's the sad part is I keep saying fight. It really isn't. You, uh, <laughs> it's a massive uh, Taylor. Taylor, um, in my in my family and household, we would call this a good old fashioned ass whooping. Uh, yeah, I feel like <laughs> I feel like my family would also call it that. That's pretty accurate. It was a good old fashioned ass whooping. But the good thing is with Mark is. Like I said earlier, he just didn't give up. He just kept going. And every single time, Omni-Man would just kill civilians in front of him, just trying to show, like, hey, man, these are like ants to us. We live thousands of years. Like, these people do not matter in the, like, grand scheme of things. In his mind, he is doing the right thing for humanity because of the way he perceives humanity as this, like, they need to be reined in to follow us. It's like a the whole evil Superman thing, right? It gets played out to death. And I think it's because of, ironically, Prime. Amazon Prime over here. They're cornering the market on this. I mean, I, mean, I, mean, I've, I made this joke before, but it's ironic that the rich billionaire yeah. bald guy has three different shows which are all evil Superman. I mean, is he trying to tell us something? <laughs> Uh, shout out to Amazon Prime. But besides the point, I do not actually believe Jeff Bezos is Lex Luthor. Just by the way, it is a joke. Could, it could be. Who knows? Who knows? May let's give it ten years. Let's see it, how AI goes as well. Amazon's <laughs> getting into that. Let's see if oh Jeff Luthor has anything uh, up his sleeve. He might have a Skynet. Who knows? But. <laughs> besides the point they have this evil superman thing cornered right now but what i think omni man and don't get me wrong i'm going to kind of talk shit about the boys later because there's something about the boys that always rubs me the wrong way and invincible is the show that i'm always pointing to to be like that's how i think it should be done if you want to go down this cynical path but we'll get there point being with omni man is He's like an evil Superman mixed with Darth Vader for me. With I li- I <laughs> That's like a that. weird comparison. But Ooh, I the like reason it. I say Darth Vader is every time I watch episode three, and this is because I grew up around the prequels, every time I watch episode three, it's, it's dumb. It's going to sound really dumb, but I think every time we get to that scene with Palpatine and Mace Windu and Anakin, I go... Man, what if that ended different? What if Anakin did not turn right there? And every single time I watch this show, I go, what if Mark just didn't get his powers? Because the confliction, especially on a rewatch with Nolan, is so compelling to watch. Because I, you, like, you see moments where he actually does not believe in this Viltrum shit. And the reason yep. I say that is because of how much, like, oh no, he can say he doesn't give a damn about humanity, but he's doing this. Like, he's saying this. Like, he, like there's so many moments. And then we get to the finale with that scene with uh, the softball game. Like, dude, it's it's so interesting to me that I'm like, it's evil Superman done in a way that I'm like, man, one change could have changed the entire course of this universe. Agreed. I think the I think the whole difference between what the boys do for an evil Superman and what Invincible does for their evil Superman is for the boys, there is no redemption for 
anyone. It's a cynical universe where there is no happy endings. No matter how much good you do, the evil will always win. Evil will always win, and nobody should care about anyone. That is the boys' um cynicality in its full entirety. It's like there's just there's no sa- It's like there's no saving anyone. Look out for yourself. That's what the boys seems to always go back to even when it's trying yeah. to actually go down a redemption arc for butcher they just backtrack yeah hell we saw it in season three yeah it seemed like they were setting up for that and then by the end of the season you had all the good guys who were being like we gotta save everybody and then it got to the point where i was like all right what about butcher fuck butcher we gotta stop homelander <laughs> it's i don't know like not to get into all that i was just even the goody two-shoe characters come across as like hypocritical and cynical in that way. And this is when I'm getting, now I guess I am going to get into like my criticism of the boys and the reason why I'm comparing to Invincible here. Well, is Invincible, can I finish my um, Evil Superman? Yes, please, please go ahead. I'll, I'll remember my point. Yeah, so my, like the whole thing with like um, Invincible, it's like, it's Omni-Man's redemption arc. Because it's like, with him, he's just on Earth. He sees all the superheroes here. He knows he can't take them all down by himself. So he needs to So he needs to wait until he's got um, another one by his side to actually be able to do so. And that is supposed to be Mark. But during that time, it's like he falls in love. He doesn't want to admit that he's in love with Debbie, but he is. And then he has a child. And he sees like what humanity sees, those small moments that make life great. And that's what's turning him over. And that's why he has all these moments where he doesn't know what to do. Like when he punches the wall and he has this just emotionless face, but really he's tearing up inside. It's like to him, it's like, I know what I'm supposed to do as a Viltrum. But at the same time, I love my life here. I love my family. I love the people I've become friends with because he could have killed Ark. He didn't kill Ark. So it's like he has friends, he has family, he realizes um, the beauty of living like a human. And that is why I think Omni-Man's redemption arc and everything and is always like so, so good. Because it takes him being right in front of it. It's like he needs one thing. He needs one thing from Earth to go back to his life of violence. He needs Mark. Because that is who, that is someone who is like him, he can be like him, and he can prove the Viltrum ideology correct if Mark goes with him. I'm glad you said a redemption arc too, because it does kind of feel like that, but it feels like it was a, oh man, he's, once you know the full context of everything you're watching on a rewatch, you realize, oh yeah, he learned to love humanity, he's given it up. As soon as Mark gets his powers, you go, oh no. Hey man, don't do it. Don't fall to the dark side, essentially. And this is why I compared it to Vader. Because Anakin, he falls to the dark side. He kills the younglings. He kills the Jedi. He goes too far. He crosses the line you cannot cross and come back from. And that's what Omni-Man does in the finale. Like, it's an anti-redemption arc. I don't even know if that's something that's in... (laughs) Like, if that's an actual term. Oh, yeah, 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 it is. Like, if you've ever watched Avatar The Last Airbender when Zuko betrays everyone in season two, it's like, that's his anti. <laughs> Spoilers yeah, it's for been out a, a while. Tw- I don't feel Spoilers for a 20 that, year old series. <laughs> it's still one of the greatest series of all time. It's like, but um, yeah, in season two, Zuko betrays uh, the gang. It's like he's had this whole um, build up to a redemption arc, sees the um, life he can have, even see 
sees the pain that the Fire Nation brings to the world and everything. Still chooses the Fire Nation because he's not completely there yet. But uh, yeah, he decides, uh, going to go back to the Fire Nation, going to join my evil sister and everything. And uh, that's his anti-redemption arc. Yeah, that's really what it feels like with Omni-Man. It's just, he picks the wrong side in the end. And then you just watch and you're like, oh, no, man, why? And that's why I hold out hope that I know nothing about the future of Invincible. I don't want to hear Drew's reaction because that will spoil me. So, Drew, try to hold your reaction, buddy. I will hold my reaction. All I'm going, all I'm going, to, t- I'm going to tell you is that... Yeah, the next time Mark and Omni-Man meet, because you know that's coming. Oh, yeah. Everybody knows that there will be another interaction between these two characters, at the very least. Oh, yeah. When that happens, uh, hold on to your butts. Yeah, I just hold out hope that Omni-Man will get his Vader killing Palpatine moment. Somehow, some I don't want the fully redeemed. Like he, I don't know, man. It's hard. It's one of those things with Star Wars, to where people go like, I don't know, if Vader can be fully redeemed. He killed so many people, <laughs> and that one thing does that bring him back? I feel like it's the same thing. Omni Man does something similar. You know, it's just so much damage had been done. Here's the thing. Internally, Vader came back. Internally, he he came back. Mm-hmm. Because he got back to the light side, he realized that he was about to lose his son all over again. Everything was repeating from what happened in episode 3 and episode 6. And that's when he got to make his turn. He got to throw the Emperor down. Uh, You know, the Empire was destroyed, and you know, there was no ever Star Wars thing ever made again. So so he he saved the galaxy, brought balance to the Force. Yada, yada, yada. Internally, he redeemed himself. Externally? Oh, no, 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 no. Vader is a war criminal forever. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's tough. It's a tough thing there. And I feel like you can have an hour-long podcast talking about the morality and the redemption or whether or not he could have a redemption of Darth Vader slash Anakin Skywalker. And that's why I compare uh, Omni-Man a bit to Vader in that sense. And, of course, they're just Superman qualities, too. To me, I'm about to get into Mark here in a second. If I were to elevator pitch this to somebody I know, and they know nothing really about the show, other than I feel like I'd kind of have to spoil the whole Omni-Man bad guy thing to pull this comparison off, I would say Spider-Man with evil Superman as his dad. That's how it feels when you watch the show, because Mark feels a lot like Spider-Man to me. And a lot of that is his idealism and that positivity that he somehow has. And he's always able to get back up regardless of of the damage. And I brought up the boys earlier. And I want to talk about the boys when talking about Mark Grayson. Because this is a perfect example of why I don't particularly enjoy the boys as much as other people. And if you love that show or the comics, more power to you. Genuinely. It's just for me, I never feel like the boys does something because they like the medium of superheroes. It feels like they do everything in an effort to demean it. 
So that could you know what be I mean? because of the source material. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. Yeah, the source that... material is horrible. I'm not even gonna. Sure it is a million times worse. Oh god, no one ever read the the boys' uh comic book ever. And I'm bringing this up because they're on both on the same network. I think there's similarities between the two. They use violence and blood a lot. Invincible also does the same. But I believe, for one, Invincible uses violence not as just shock value. They do it for a purpose. Everything in that finale is shocking. Everything is so bloody. But it all serves a purpose. Every drop of blood, it has an impact on it. And then you watch the boys sometimes, and you're just like, yeah, that was crazy. But I don't know, man. It's just, it's starting, you're starting to become desensitized to it. And even on a rewatch, I'm not desensitized to Invincible. Like, it's just, it's one of those things that, maybe it's the animation. Maybe that's what it is. But it just feels to me like everything there is for the purpose. And my last point, then I'll turn it over to you. With Mark Grayson, the boys always comes across as cynical. And I think you made a great point. It's like, yeah, nothing matters and we all suck and everybody's just the worst and we'll never get better. It's just what what it is. All these corporations and shit. And Invincible's not like this bright series. Like, it's very dark. But at the same time, there's this sense of optimism. And that's through Mark Grayson. Because every time he does get down, he gets back up. Yeah, at some point times, he's like, I don't want to be a hero anymore. Then you have his friends be like, dude, what the fuck are you talking about? Get your head out of your ass. And every single time he's done that, he's gotten his head out of his ass. And he does what needs to be done. Like It's a very great story. Yeah, and he's a te- and he's still a teenager. Yeah. And I, I just wish it would be told more, too, with these heroes. Like I feel like sometimes we try to reinvent the wheel. Or the origin stories. Agreed. We try to make it darker, and we gotta... I won't say modernize it, but we gotta make it this grittier and more realistic. Like, no, just tell a story about somebody overcoming the odds. Like, who doesn't love an underdog story? It's, it's, a, it's a classic story for a reason. Yeah. There's, there's also... Um, you mentioned, like, Invincible with the blood and everything... I think the blood is a good way of showing one of the main things with Invincible. The Invincible, the boys is cynicality. While um, it's what most people would call realism when it's really more grimdark. Invincible is realism, but it doesn't use realism as an excuse to say nothing's going to get better. It everything sucks and everything. It's like I guess the best way to put it is invincible is like when you it's like when you get out of your emo phase and realize yeah the world has all those things you said but it's not like it's not hopeless. There's still optimism. There's still the better tomorrow. That's what that's what I think like invincible feels like. And uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, that's gonna be my last comparison with in the boys because I want to now talk. Strictly about our main character, Mark, because Mark yeah, is such a great it. character. He is. He's a very well-written character. I do love how he he's not, <laughs> no pun intended, he's not invincible. Yeah. <laughs> I, it feels like it because of how much damage he takes, and then he somehow survives it. 
but he might be. He might be just for the sake that, like, I do love how also every character is like a bit optimistic, aren't we? And that's why I think also the character is a bit. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, he's not invincible yet, but he keeps getting his ass kicked like that. It's gonna be hard to kill him because you know how much damage this kid can take. Oh, he had a hole through him at one point, Drew. He survived that. It's not like he died and got brought back. He he survived it. I cannot wait for you to meet a certain character because when that happens, you're going to be like, how the hell did both of them survive this? Hey, man, I can't wait either. But that's the thing, man. Like, he takes damage and he loses fights. And he should lose fights because it's something like, uh, to use another comparison, I don't know why I feel like just comparing everything today, but Into the Spider-Verse. Mm-hmm. Something I thought Into the Spider-Verse did so well. They could have had Miles know everything off the jump, and he was getting it. And But I feel like you don't have that satisfaction you get at the end of the movie. You don't feel proud of Miles. You don't. You want to sit there with Peter B. Parker and be like, yeah, damn right, man. Miles is fucking Spider-Man. And I think you feel that with Invincible, too. Whenever he's just getting his ass kicked. And then towards the end of the show... Yeah, he's wanting to quit, but he feels more competent. He feels more confident as a hero. Like, everything just comes more natural. And even with the Omni-Man fight, you hold out hope that like he'll have some like great Gohan-level Super Saiyan transformation that's going to push him over the edge. Because it feels like emotion is tied to at least Mark. I don't know if it's tied to uh, Nolan at all. But it feels like every time Mark gets pissed off, he just goes crazy. Yeah, you're right. It's like Mark, get, Mark gets put the ringer, and it's like in that final fight, you want to feel like he can find a way of overcoming his father and everything. He doesn't. He is completely at a loss. And I like, I like this. I like heroes that don't have to win their first fights and everything and even if they win their first fights it's like you can still show like they're not completely confident yet it's like their first one they got lucky or they were able to like get that good hit on the uh bad guy to win the fight or they just need to do something that wasn't exactly win but they knew how to lose right i love stuff like that and with and with uh and with stuff like miles and mark it's like they both do it in different ways like with miles it's like he still needs the other spiders there to help him win and with the kingpin like he just doesn't expect miles's unique spider power which allows him to win is uh whereas mark it's like it's again what his namesake is his invincible spirit is what allows him to finally break through to his dad and like make his dad remember hey it's like you love you love us and that's why he yeah. flew off. It's like he can't finish Mark. He can't do what the Viltrumites won, everything. He doesn't know what to do, so he just flies off. Yeah, he beats Nolan in a way that's not like with Fist. He beats him by basically outlasting him spiritually there. Like, what will you have over 500 years? Oh, man, that te- makes me tear up every single time. I still have you. Like, ah, still so good, so good. But yeah, man, and then you talk about my last Miles Morales comparison here when talking about my, uh, Mark. You look at Across the Spider-Verse. Yeah. You, because you watched the first movie, 
and you watch Miles on his own, and I'm not going to spoil across the Spider-Verse, but there are moments in the movie where it is pretty much him, and he's got a lot of stuff in his way. Mm-hmm. And you buy into he can handle it, because you watched him become a hero over the course of that uh, first movie and in the second movie as well. I think we're going to see the same thing with Invincible. Whereas yeah. we saw it in the first season, and in the second season, we're going to see him handle more competent situations on his own. Yeah. I honestly, I honestly feel like, like, this, like season two is going to be Mark coming into his own. He is technically the strongest superhero on the planet because like, he is like still Omni-Man's son, and he is that guy. He's the only one who really was doing something to Omni-Man besides the giant kaiju creature. So it's like... At this point, it's like we gotta see where it's gonna. We gotta see where it's gonna go. And even as a comic reader, it's like they've changed some stuff around. It's like I don't even know if they're gonna be doing some stuff the same anymore, just because of what they changed and everything. But it's still really cool to imagine how is Mark going to grow? How is he going to change? Uh, mm-hmm. And what's and what's gonna be like his superhero journey? Because we we've gotten through the origin. This is the established mark now. Yeah. And you have a lot of other interesting characters to, I don't want to say for him to be friends with, because we don't know how those... Interact with. You know how these relationships are going to (laughs) go. But I have no idea. You have the likes of the new Guardians of the Globe. You got Black Samson. You got Adam Eve. You got Rex Floyd. Monster Girl. Robot. Like, all those characters... And then you also have uh, Cecil. How is all that going to fit in? You have the other heroes that are out there. I do love the running joke throughout the season. That fight force is a joke. <laughs> Nobody takes them seriously. <laughs> I can't remember if that's an actual team from Image. Like, I, I, I really want It wanna... felt personal. <laughs> Whatever it was, it felt personal. I want to look it up one day, but it's like Fight Force. It just, I feel like I've heard the name before. Is it a shot at the Fantastic Four, maybe, with the alliteration? I don't, I don't know. Nah. I don't know what it is. But it felt a little personal there from Kirkman and the creators of Invincible. Uh, because there was one part where the new Guardians of the Globe were like, like Robot was doing tryouts for it. And him and Mark were just talking, and Mark. He looks over, wait, is that Fight Force? Why'd they even show up? It's just a running joke throughout the whole season that these, the, whoever they are, they ain't shit. And it's it's fantastic. Yeah. So how is Mark going to interact with all these heroes is based on my point. I find that interesting too, because you're right. I, I'm going to do another comparison. I just can't help it. It's going to be a running theme today. Uh, maybe, it reminds me a bit of the way the MCU did Spider-Man. With Spider-Man being introduced. And we as the audience go, yeah, Spider-Man's like the most powerful here. But he's a teenager, and he can't handle Captain America right now. Yeah. Because <laughs> of the experience. So Captain America's going to body him. Yeah, it's that Spider-Sense, man. If, like, if it wasn't the Spider-Sense, Captain America could beat him. If he does have the Spider-Sense, then no way. <laughs> yeah. But that's, I think, how I would compare it with Mark, and especially the first season. Like, potentially, you know off the rip. Mark is the second most powerful person on yeah. Earth. But especially by the end with Cecil going like, hey, Mark's our best shot. The new Guardians of the Globe, 
Yeah, they got it together, but they're our last shot. Uh, Hail Mary. Let's throw out there. And I think that's why he also wanted Adam Eve to hold back, because Adam Eve is probably his second attempt, if that doesn't work. He'll probably send her in. Yeah, I just don't remember if Cecil at this point knows that Adam Eve is literally Jean Grey Phoenix Force. Like, I'm just not entirely sure. I don't think he knows. I don't think he trusts her. Because she doesn't buy into, well, because all the wreck stuff. But because she's not on the team, I don't think he'd trust her. Well, one thing with Cecil is like his whole his definition of trust is different. So uh, I think he trusts her. I don't. I think he just knows he can't control her. Uh, but he know he knows like he can like talk to her. Like she's a reasonable person. Like that's one of the reasons why he sent uh, Mark and her to Mount Rushmore and everything. It's like Cecil understands the um the players on the board most of the time. Omni Man was just one he did not understand though. But the whole thing with uh but the whole thing with um Adam Eve and everything is like her origin is for the most part secret to a lot of people. And that is why As we saw. Yes. <laughs> as we saw two episode. Yeah, as we saw. So the whole um so the whole thing with like Cecil, I'm not sure at this point. He figures it out eventually, I know. I just don't know at this point if he knows um, her strength. Yeah. Let's talk about Cecil for a second, though. And Animeve, for that matter. Now, talking about Animeve, we we talked about her character a lot here lately because of the Animeve special. And I've talked about how much that special did for... Uh, her like rising up my power rankings of characters on this show she uh-huh. to me is right there alongside Omni-Man and Mark and Cecil for that matter <laughs> so we'll get there don't worry <laughs> and on a rewatch now knowing the context yeah I, I like Adam Eve a lot more I, I get it like it's her powers I just wish they kind of I don't know I wish they went into more stuff in the first season with her because it, you wouldn't have needed that Adam Eve special. Well, it's because she has so much that comes later. Like, trust me, it's yeah. like she. It, trust me, it's like the more time you got, the more she's gonna have moments where she's just, she's just gonna be. Re- you, I, I don't want to spoil anything. I'm trying to be careful. I, I know you are. You're you're basically saying like they're doing what they can, and more stuff is probably gonna be shown in the future with her. Yeah, it's like they're setting they've already set up her character pretty well. It's like because like initially she does start out as mostly Mark's mentor and everything and like the feelings that both Mark and her have is like is there, but it's like they just always are like inconvenient when they're ready to like speak their feelings and everything. It's the will it's like the will they won't they stuff, but it's like they're more mature about it, which makes it way better. Uh but with her as a character and her personal stuff, it's like, she's going to have a lot. Like, honestly, I feel as though season two, you're going to see her steadily rise. And season three, you're going to be like, dang. Like, wow, she's got, whoa, suddenly one of your favorite characters. Like, trust me, she's, she's going to have her moments. I just It just depends on where they go. It could happen in season two as well, depending on where they end. I, I just, oh, so much good, so much good stuff is happening, man. It's like. Literally, Invincible only gets better from here. <laughs> so, for me, Adam Eve is a good character that I think is shown off 
so much better just because she is the main character and the pretty much only actual focus of the season two, episode zero, I guess, ep- uh, premiere. Uh, that's literally just called the anime special. Yeah. So, yeah, I love that presentation with her. I feel like she's com- she comes across as a good character here, but just doesn't do anything particularly spectacular. I do find it interesting that she's doing, like, her own thing with her superpowers. And she's just living her life. It's just one of those things that you're like, yeah, honestly, that's not a bad way to live if you have those powers. You just help people. You go back to your house. You chill. Like, it's... You don't... And then you see, like, she can just get dressed, like, by pretty much... Like, you see the way her powers work. She can make anything appear. Like, anything she wants to eat or drink or conjure up, she can pretty much do. So... She doesn't need to, like, buy anything or get anything. She can just make everything herself and go help people whenever she wants. Completely self-sufficient. Like, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I also... See, I see Eve. Yeah. I also, li- I also like how um, she hasn't really quit being a superhero. It's more as she just wants to know what type of person she wants to be. And that is a really cool thing. But the other thing I've been trying to say with Eve is, like... The special also, I feel like for people who haven't read the comics and don't know what's coming, the special is a good way of seeing, like, she's gotten better. Yes, she still has her traumas that she's going to have to work through as time goes on, but she's gotten better. She can talk to people. She's not a fr- she's not nervous around people anymore like she was before. She has more friends, and even with Margie... She's popular at school. Yeah, she's popular at school. That's what it's really funny watching that special and then watching the first season again because the special makes it seem like, oh yeah, she's the kid that doesn't talk to anybody, just socially awkward and all that stuff. And then you watch her in the first season, and the way William talks about her, especially at the beginning of the show, is like, oh yeah, every straight dude at school wants to get with her, and like she's so popular, <laughs> and it's like, whoa, what? how did she get okay it's confidence she has that confidence now yep just moved up she's like she has the confidence yeah also little headcanon for me is that because she can literally just make her clothes look like whatever she wants it's like she she always comes to school looking like she's gotten new clothes so she makes it look like that she's always styling (laughs) Talking about Cecil now. <laughs> it's weird to be like, oh yeah, Adam Eve and her style. Let's move on to the old man. <laughs> hey, move respect that old man. Hey, I, Cecil's awesome. And one of the reasons I love Cecil, and this is going to be some justified love here, Walt Goggins. Walt yes. motherfucking Goggins is amazing. This guy is one of the most underappreciated actors in Hollywood. Thank you! So, so good. And I'm really tired of this guy just being like, oh yeah, he's the secondary antagonist. (laughs) And I'm just calling out an Ant-Man 2 here. I'm sorry. But yeah, he's a secondary antagonist in an Ant-Man movie. He plays a henchman in other things. He plays the racist guy in a Quentin Tarantino movie. And I say this when I just shouted out the show where he played Boyd Crowder in Justified. But (laughs) to be fair, Boyd Crowder is one of the most compelling villains in the history of television. So come on now. 
Uh, besides the point, Walt Goggins is fantastic as Cecil. Yeah. His voice fits this character so well that I have to be morally gray, and I hate myself for it. Dude, this guy is so good. Like the part where he brings out the cyborgs, right? Mm-hmm. And you know he hates that guy who created him. Which, by the way, I just want to throw this out there because I just started laughing my ass off for just the awkwardness of it, the situation. In the episode with the androids, the beginning of the episode starts off with, uh, what's the guy's name? D.A. Sinclair, I think? Uh, I think, yeah, Sinclair. Yeah, with Sinclair kidnapping a college kid. That college kid is voiced by Justin Roiland. Sinclair is voiced by Ezra Miller. And I'm not comparing these situations in Slice. But them having a scene that they shared together, I could not stop laughing and being like, yeah, they they both ain't coming back. (laughs) (laughs) Like, they ain't coming back at all. Well, the college kid died. He, uh, he, uh... Oh, I know. I'm just like, they're not sharing a scene together in season two in any shape, way, or form. They're not. <laughs> Just uh, like, yeah, that's a moment in time right there. Oh, <laughs> Those man. two actors. Uh, I don't know why I went on that tangent. No, yeah, no, yeah, no that, 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 is, that is fun to uh, think about and everything. But Cecil with the androids, like, he hates doing it. He hates Sinclair. Uh, there was something he did that pissed Debbie off. Oh, yeah, it was, like, Mark fighting Omni-Man. And he was like, yeah... Uh, but he's our only shot. I can't stop this kaiju because if Mark is with Omni Man, I have to start stop Mark too. And Debbie's like, I fucking hate you. And he's like, I know, I hate myself too, but I gotta do it. And it encapsulates his character so perfectly to me. Yeah, like he does what he thinks he has to do for the betterment. And this isn't in the in the take that you would think of for the betterment of the citizens of the country. It feels genuine. Yeah. Like, it does feel like he genuinely is doing it for the people. But these are some shitty things he's having to do. It It is, like, a lot that Cecil has to do and everything. From, uh, from a lot of perspectives and everything, it's like, yeah, he's he's in a no-win situation. He, like, he can't stay on his morals. You know he has them. He can't abide by them. He has to do the, he has to do the um, worst thing. Just because, just because, like, there is no other options. It's like, look, I'm the one who has to make those decisions. If I had to compare him to any other character, he's Nick Fury. He's Nick Fury, specifically Nick Fury Jr. Because, uh, uh, because, uh, Nick Fury Sr., nah, he would take that, he would take the, um, the, uh, gray method in a heartbeat. But, um, Nick Fury Jr. is more like, is, uh, more like Cecil than anything else because he, does have that moral compass and he wants to like stay on that good stay on that good side but knows he has to do the bad thing ever i will say i can't remember it's like i will say like as a comic reader because of where cecil first appeared i thought he was british why do you say that okay so there's a comic book called brit cold death It's about a character whose name is brit and yes, he's British. And uh, this whole thing 
is like well he's not british he's like he's american but he's supposed to be like has a british accent and everything so like um when he appears he talks with cecil and everything and i thought he was supposed to be british well maybe he originally was supposed to be but then walt goggins walked in and you just can't say no to Walt Goggins. Yeah, no, 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 no. Because uh, I, I actually went and reread the comic books and everything. He is American. Oh, okay. He is American. He's always been American. I just was dumb dumb. You just thought he was, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, Cecil's a great character, man. One scene that stands out to me is, I think it's episode seven, where they're just trying to slow Omni-Man down while they're tracking down Adam Eve and Mark. And they try this beam... Uh, the satellite beam to kill him. The uh, Hammer of Dawn, essentially, <laughs> from Gears of War, to try to kill him, doesn't work. He calls it like a four, the most expensive uh, nosebleed in history. <laughs> it costs like $400 billion for that device that Omni-Man just destroys, and then he gets a nosebleed right afterwards. And then he goes to, he launches the androids, also doesn't work. Last ditch effort. And this like shows to me like Cecil's just not this run of the mill corporate, like, yeah, I'm doing it for the people. And but he doesn't actually he's doing it for the money. Like, you know what I mean? He's not one of those kind of characters. And the scene that proves it is when he's teleporting around, just trying to stall for time. Cause mm-hmm. he's putting his life out there on the line. And he's just having this showdown with Nolan. And he's coming across looking like a boss in this scene. Like, hey, man, why'd you do it? And he's this mortal talking to essentially a god. And he's talking to him like, man, I'm going to stop you. Somehow, some way, we're going to end up stopping you. And then uh, no one ends up grabbing part of his tie. Yeah, he was one second too late. Yep. How close he actually got to killing Cecil. And that scene really shows to me, like, okay, Cecil is actually a good character. In the sense that he's on the good guy's side. So, fantastic character. Written well, performed to perfection. Like, the voice cast, we can't talk about it enough. I just want to throw that out there. Oh, yeah, we will get into the, we will get into the voice we'll cast. We'll get into that. Yeah, but um, I also like in that scene, it's like, Cecil's being 100% genuine with Omni Man. It's like, you know, I, you know, it's like I trusted you. You were Earth's greatest, you were Earth's greatest hero and everything. And it's like, Omni-Man just not saying anything because, in a way, Cecil is reading him, but he can't let him know that. And all Omni-Man wants is to find Mark because that is the person he really wants to uh, get opinion on. It's the person he's trying to, like, bring over to his side and everything. I just love that. But moving on to... What do you want to talk about, man? We kind of got a lot of the main characters out of the way here. Uh, we could quickly talk about the voice cast. I don't really want to get into it. Like, okay, so I am okay. I need to pull this on my own, my end, so you know. Like, I'm. This could be a point that I'm normally biased on. I don't like celebrity voice voice celebrities being voice actors most of the time because there are some really really great voice actors who get shafted because it's like, oh, this person is voiced by. Going in the hat here, Ryan Reynolds, and this person is voiced by. Uh, let's see, let's see, let's see. Um, Robert Downey Jr. 
or Adam Sandler or whatever. And it's like, what about the actual voice actors? Because not a lot of them are actually good voice actors. Yeah. It's a different medium entirely. Yeah. Well, I don't want to say entirely, but it's a different medium. Like some people pull it off. And I think an example of that before you get into yours is a Super Mario Brothers movie. Yeah. Where it was a celebrity cast and everybody was like, that's going to be awful. And yeah, exact opposite, really. Everybody did a fantastic job. I think this show started it off. I don't know if they went to voice acting classes or what. Everyone who is voice acting in this is five stars minimum in a five star review. It's like, what the heck? How is everyone doing so good? If you're talking standout performances, and again, I want to get into like in depth, like we usually do, because. We've talked about, or I've talked about to death, like the performances of this show, and I, I think everybody has too. So there's not a whole lot we can add to that conversation, right? Yeah. But you just talk about standout performances, just off the top of my head, Stephen Yoon, J.K. Simmons, Sandra Oh, Gillian Jacobs, just off to the main characters there, Walt Goggins. Everybody in this show, man, yeah. does... A superb job. I forget the actor's name. The guy from the league in Brooklyn Nine Nine as Rex Flood. I thought he did a really good job. Oh, as... oh, uh, Rex Flood. Hang on, uh, it's coming to me. Uh, Jason Manzukas. I think that's how you pronounce yep. his name. Yep. Uh, yep, that's who it is. Yeah. I mean, he did a great job. You had um... Kevin Michael Richardson for the Mauler Twins. Yep, Kevin Michael Richardson Mauler Twins. Zachary Quinto as Robot, and then you had Ross Marquand as Rudy taking over the Robot role, which is not a bad transition there <laughs> to lose Zachary Quinto and be like, okay, so we get Ross. Okay, so the guy who does all the awesome voices, anyways. Okay, that's 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 a good way to go. Clancy Brown. Clancy. Oh. As Damien Darkblood. Like, Damien... Okay, so, so this isn't a spoiler. This isn't technically a spoiler, but Damien Darkblood, he it's like he doesn't appear in the Invincible Comics after this and everything. Uh, I want him to appear again so we can have more can- Clancy Brown. Because <laughs> he does way, way too good. He's way too good. Might be the first role, and I know he's playing a demon, but... It might be the first role Clancy Brown has been in to where he's not a villain. No, that can't be right. That can't be right. It feels right. Like, but he's Mr. Krabs. Well, <laughs> I can be a dick and be like, you know, let's talk about the okay. way the, no, the no, Krusty no, no, Krab no, no, is no, right no. here. Like, when, after, right after I said that, I was like, wait, 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 but Mr. Krabs is kind of a villain. <laughs> He <laughs> likes money, but yeah. that's the only thing he cares about. Only but besides the about. point, Clancy Brown is amazing in everything he's in. Wait, he's he's kit. He is King Frederick in that Rapunzel animated show. Had to watch that with my uh, little cousin. I remember he is a good guy, <laughs> technically. Hey, there's one. Okay, he's got one. Before we get out of here, man, I want to talk about some of our favorite moments, some of our favorite characters from this season. I want to start with you. What are some some of your favorite moments from this season or some of your favorite characters? I know there's a bunch. 
I love my boring mom. That is just wholesome AF, and normally that's what normally you wait until like the characters at their lowest point to say that. And it's like, nope, Mark is just starting out, and he already has a tether to his humanity, which ooh, so good, so good, and so wholesome, so sweet. <laughs> I love the fact that uh, I love the fact that Debbie not only takes it in stride but also sees it as a compliment. She's awesome. Anytime the Mahler twins are on screen. Favorite moment. Anytime they're on screen, they steal the show. They just steal it. Uh, yeah, there's a moment, too, where Rudy is transferring consciousness. over. Well, not transferring, copying his consciousness. And the Mahler twins, they're, they do want to betray Rudy, and they're bad guys. But I like the one little moment, too, where like they have some humanity in them. And yeah. they go like, hey, you know, I just want to tell you, you're not going to make it. You're copying who you are onto this new person. You're going to remain being who you are, and you're going to probably die from this. Yeah, and he, and he like, uh, and it's like, I like the fact that they tell him, it's like, you it's like, uh, th- we always keep the process seamless because we don't want to know who's the original. You won't have that luxury because you look different and it's just like oh yeah that's so good yeah and (laughs) it goes back to what i was saying and i hope these comparisons i've been making this whole time at least serve the purpose towards talking about invincible that's the thing that i think sets invincible apart too towards the some of the cynicism and some of the blood and the outlandish horrible things that happen you have those moments right where the Mahler twins show humanity. And even something like the chicken pot pie stuff. Like, yeah, it's played for a joke. But you can tell, like, they felt bad for the security guard because they liked the guy. Yeah, it's like, oh, sorry, Pete. It doesn't feel like it's out of malice and hate or cynicism. It feels like it's done like, yeah, these are bad guys. But, I mean, they're not absolute monsters here. Yeah. And the absolute monsters you'll see in the show, too. There are some people who are just irredeemable or horrible <coughs> Ezra <coughs> Sinclair yeah Sinclair is one of them and then you also have Machine Head played by Jeffrey Donovan who's fantastic another the, amazing I actor. love that they made his voice dumpster oh my god it's so good Michael Weston back not in the way I thought he'd be but and Machine Head's another very uh, unsympathetic character yeah Oh man, um, we're getting Angstrom Levy in the next season. Oh, we're 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 gonna be eating good, Taylor. We are gonna be eating good. Uh, Damian Damian Darkblood when he confronts Omni Man, it's like guy. Oh, that's good. Yeah, the guy knows he cannot be Omni Man, but he is like, I can t- I can take you, and I will still tell everyone your secret. It's like, that is so good. And I like how Omni-Man doesn't just try and, like, kill him. It's like, he has to be smart about it. Shows that he's not just a brute. Yeah, because he can just kill everybody, really. But it's not about that. Yeah. It's about him convincing Mark to help him take over the Earth so they can get ready for the invasion. Yeah. It's not about, like, oh, yeah, I just gotta kill everybody in my way. It's, It's just, it's complicated. Yeah, him. and it's that internal struggle throughout the whole season that he is fighting with. Yeah, I, I, I'm gonna do three more. At, 
and I'm just gonna say my three favorite characters, and I'm gonna put it to you because otherwise I'm gonna like put, say a lot of stuff from the show. Um, the we were talking about the Mauler twins breaking out. I love the fact that he's using the unconscious security guard Pete as like his expression piece with he's like talking about being the original and everything at the door it's like he's using his finger to like tap his <laughs> finger and it's like yeah. waving the hand like it's his hand it's like that is just funny yeah it's like i was saying they're dicks but then they had the other moment where it's like yeah they're not absolute monsters though but they are bad guys oh yeah they're <laughs> bad guys pretty, one mauler one mauler sacrificed the other to get away oh uh, yep. that was so sad uh but what else uh because I know, like, I know, like, my um other favorite moment. But what can I, what can I choose from my? You know what? I'm just gonna say it. Rex Explode, cleaning the blood off of the, uh, off of the uh, Guardians of the Globe headquarters and everything. It's like, dude has a sm- dude has a very small character arc. It's honestly technically the weakest of the series. Of the um, not the series though the season, but it's still so good to see him try and be a better person and realize. And his starting realization is literally, "I hurt my girlfriend," and I and he he's not able to get her back. He's not able to get her back. He knows that, but he still wants to be better because he doesn't want it to happen again. I love that. I do like that, especially on a rewatch too, because the scene where he's apolog—well, not really apologizing to Eve—that was kind of one of the problems there he doesn't know how to apologize yeah where he was explaining himself to eve it really does come across as like somebody who is fucked up and then that conversation where he loses her is that like sobering moment for him to be like i really did lose it all like i got to get my shit together i can't be this fuck up anymore that gets jealous because i think my girlfriend pretty much left me already, so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to cheat on her before she has a chance to break up with me. Because that's kind of the thought process we learn in his head of what he was doing. He wasn't just doing it because, oh, I'm a dick, and I just cheat around all the time. So I do really like his arc in a rewatch. On the first watch, it's just like, yeah, he's the douchebag character who butts heads with Invincible, and they're kind of friends by the end. But on a rewatch, it's much better. I'm excited to see what he does in uh, season two and beyond. Yeah, and my final favorite, and my final favorite moment because I uh, cut myself off from a lot of the Omni Man stuff. But uh, favorite moment: Omni Man and Invincible playing catch, and Omni Man giving the Invincible speech. Now, initially, Mark comes up with the name himself after a talk with his principal. I get why the cartoon changes it to be Omni-Man, because in a way, this is double talk from Omni-Man. He is both trying to hype Mark up to realize his power and everything, so that way they can like start getting things ready for the Viltrumite invasion. But at the same time, it's also Omni-Man talking with his son, trying to show him, it's like, hey, you're different from other kids, and it's not so bad. You are... Uh, you are like invincible and they're not, but that doesn't mean like you're um but it doesn't mean like you're weird or everything. It's something to be celebrated, you're different. So I like it because it is like perfect dialogue for Nolan when he's on the fence as he is. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I agree with that one too because it's one of those things to where I talked about the Vader comparison earlier, right? And I think it's it's an example of I think there's people who can watch this season. I'm not saying it's wrong either to be like, yeah, Oni Man, this totally irredeemable asshole, piece of shit, no redeeming qualities whatsoever. I'm not saying that's even the wrong take. It's just this is subjective television here. But for me, you watch those scenes, and they're so genuine. And you're like, man, this could have turned out so much different if he just didn't get his powers. Or what if he just... What if Mark gets his powers, and it's that inner conflict that you know because you've seen Nolan have that throughout the whole season of, like, what am I doing here? What if he chooses not to kill the Guardians? Like, you know, it's a show rife with what-ifs, too, for me. Mm-hmm. And it, that's a very just... Those conversations give me that feeling, because you're like, man, he's a good dad. Like, he's giving out good advice. He's just trying to help his son the best way he can. But then we learn it's also ulterior, ulterior motives as well. Yeah. Hell, we, hell, even when he's, like, talking with Mark about having to leave Amber in his room for an hour, it's like... God, that's such a good that is such a good scene because it's like he's trying to help Mark balance his superhero life, but again, it's more double talk. It's like, hey, you gotta do what you the right thing, what you gotta do. And to Nolan, he's trying to prep Mark up to like, hey, when the Viltrumites come, it's like gotta side with them. Yep, and it's just it's so brilliantly written. <laughs> that's what makes me like go back to the Amber stuff. That I'm like, damn, what happened there? <laughs> everything else is ace <laughs> and we get to that part and it's just so much left to be desired again thought that again think that they didn't do the time t- timeline right and that's what's going on yeah but um uh, it had char- to be it had to be something like that yeah uh favorite character is gonna get that out the way so all of them <laughs> all of them you know what that is a good this is a good one but no i'm gonna choose my three i'm gonna be a good one uh so number three all of them number two all of them number one all of them <laughs> okay no no Sorry. seriously Sorry. seriously not a bad list at all <laughs> all right gonna be serious this time okay for season one favorite characters and this is just all of their stuff from season one uh, gonna put number three, the Mahler twins. I was never not having fun when they were on screen. And it's like, I've ne- I have never liked such terrible people in my life. <laughs> uh, love, love them. Uh, I guess they technically count as two characters, but I'm putting them as one. Okay. At number two, gonna put down, gonna put down Eve just because, and I'm putting it, and I'm saying this just because. I love her character, and I might be a bit biased knowing where her character is going to go. I admit to being a bit biased, but I like her storyline. I like her standing up to her parents. I like the fact that her parents are trying to, are kind of like, if if anything, their parents are kind of like mirror versions of Nolan. They want what's best for her. They go about it the worst way possible. And I like that, um, I like that little, um, difference between uh nolan and them and how that also affects eve because she's put together and I, she's put herself together and but she still needs to figure a lot of stuff out but at the same time it's like you understand you understand where they're coming from they don't want their little girl out 
there fighting um, supervillains, worrying about them dying. When Rex was dating her, it's like, oh, he'll take the bullet for her. It's sick, it's wrong, but you understand them as parents. And you see, like, they do love her. It's just, like, they don't healthily show it. And finally, for number one, you knew he was on, the, you knew he was top of this list. I don't care if I'm biased. Alan the Alien is the GOAT. The GOAT. Wow. No Invincible or Omni Man on his top three. Honestly, honestly, I was going to put Invincible above the Mahler twins. But I feel like, but I wanted to put down for season one, season one, because I was only being biased for Alan. For season one, I was going to put it for the Mahler twins just above Mark. Because if you get me number four and five, Mark is number four and Debbie is number five. Omni Man is number six. All right. For me, I'm going to be the boring guy here. Honorable mention, by the way, I'm going to throw William in there. William's a pretty good wingman throughout the whole show. If you, especially on the rewatch, you're like, damn, he really does have Mark's back. <laughs> and he's not really given a good reason to, because Mark's not a great friend in return. See, that's one of the things that's taken out of the that's was taken out of the comic. Because a lot of stuff happens similarly, but Mark and William hang out a lot more in the comic. And Mark even takes yeah. William out flying when William first figures it out. <laughs> that was hilarious, though. Like, that happens in the show, but I assume it's differently. It that was weird. hilarious in the show, whenever William's like, hey, you gotta you got take me flying. And then Mark just, un so annoyed, quickly does it, comes back, William's just so happy, and he's still just so pissed off. <laughs> it's like, yeah. just a great juxtaposition there. Uh, but yeah, William's a great wingman throughout the show, and he's a pretty good friend. And he tells Mark, like, hey man, like, while it was not written well, he does try to be a good friend and be like, hey, I gotta tell you when I think you fucked up. I think you fucked up. That is best friend behavior right there. Yeah, it's like, that's what you want there. So, I want to give him an honorable mention. I feel bad, too, for Rick. Because mm. you talk about some of the fuck-ups from Mark in this season. That's one of them. Is Rick really one of the fuck-ups from Mark? Cause I think so. Because technically, what could Mark have done? His crisis of faith, I think, is the reason why. Because he would not listen to William, and he kept going like, oh, no, he's fine. I need to worry about Amber. I need to worry about what I'm doing. I'm done being invincible. This is... He basically pulled the Spider-Man 2, like, no more Spider-Man. I'm done with that life. Just without the l loss of powers. Yeah, without the loss of powers, which makes it so much worse to me. And because of that, because of the selfishness, what if he was able to get there 10, 15 minutes faster? Uh, considering, that, considering that Sinclair was already done and looking for more victims, I think that wouldn't have mattered. I think it would have actually, yeah. actually been worse because then it's like, oh, he'll, like, he'll probably, William would probably woken up ready to kill Mark and uh, William. Yeah, it's just, it's one of those things that it, it feels like a casualty of Mark's crisis of faith that, to me, I don't know if the show plans to continue, like, they kind of did that, I think, in the seventh episode, where William was like, hey man, it sucks what happened to Rick, it's horrible, but it's partially, like, he, I don't think he was blaming Mark for it, but it was basically a 
if we just, if you helped out a little sooner, who knows what could have happened. But I hope that continues on because I would love for that to be a thing to where Mark looks at that crisis he had in season one and understands like, no, because of that, a good guy got really fucked up because of me. And who knows if he'll ever be quote unquote normal again. So I don't know that, that that like I don't mean to go on a tangent, but that was something to me that like even on the first rewatch I was like, man, that's that's a terrible fate. And it seems like he's going to just be working for Cecil and the rest of them. Yeah, who knows what hell he might have been one of those cyborgs that uh, Omni Man fucked up. Who knows? I hope not because it feels like they're gonna bring him back. I think they're gonna bring him back too. I, I really do, but. I'm going to give William the honorable mention. Three, I'm going to go Titan. Okay. His episode was really impactful. No, you know what? I'm going to have a tie here. Titan slash uh, Battle Beast. For similar really? reasons. Really? And they were just both bad uh, badasses. Okay. Wait, does that count as your one and... T- does that count as your two and three? I'm cheating, okay? They're both at three. They're tied. All right. Oh, three so we can three. cheat now. Uh, yeah, we can cheat now. Uh, because it's just, there are no rules here. The Mahler twin sass mark for number three. There you go. So you got Mark on your list. Mm-hmm. So yeah, for Titan, I really liked his story. I like how it helped ground Mark a bit as well, who kind of had his head up his ass about... See, what I like about Mark's story, too, is it feels very realistic for a teenager who would have, oh yeah, his dad's Omni-Man, and like, you would feel at that point you're too big for the little guy. Like you have to deal with alien invasions and all the big stuff. You can't deal with the small stuff of the common folk. Well, it's also because he technically, well, well, I think like that, I don't think that's the full truth because then, because when Mark starts out, he is starting out with just like garden variety, street thugs and bank robbers. Mm hmm. He gets a big head about it. That's the thing. That's why yeah. I like about his stories. He gets a big head about it. Then he has the crisis of faith and then the sobering moment. And then he pretty much goes like, no, you know what? Fuck it. I'm done completely. And then the shit with his dad. And it feels like that's the thing that officially gets him back on the wagon. That like he knows he has to do this. Yeah. But also it's like one of the things with Mark is like with him de- dealing with the little guy and everything. It's like he ha- it's like he has to look at it from their perspective first. Which I think is how anyone starts realizing um, that they're missing out on that they're missing out on something. But for Mark and everything, it's like ironically, his dad is telling him, "Look, you're too powerful for this." His dad is the one telling him, "You shouldn't be focusing on the little guy." Yeah. Mark is like, "I don't know. Maybe we should." And then he asks mom for his mom for advice because he's a teenager and may and he thinks like maybe I'm wrong. Maybe my dad is right. But he asks his mom. Which is really good setup for from um him trying to listen to not just his dad but his mom as well and keep his head on the ground. It's like that's mm-hmm. the thing. That's the thing I like about Mark. It's like he's he. It's like you can see that subtle fight back against his dad's programming and getting his own ideology. It's like he still yeah. wants to help out the little guy, and also it's like as much as like we don't like the relationship, it's also Amber. Amber influences as well. He wants to help people. Like, that is Mark, ultimately, at the end of the day, he wants to help people. He might not know the best way about it, and he's going to have his crisis of faith, because, yes, he's a teenager. <laughs> uh, but it's like, he, it's like you never see him struggle with, oh, 
uh, I could like just punch this guy. It's like no, instead, no, instead, it's like punch me, punch me as hard as you can. It's like, I guess the best way to say it is like Mark is more of a shield while Nolan is more of a sword. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. But yeah, for Titan, I think it was a thing where initially Mark had his head up his ass, and he immediately was like, "No, look." Here's what's actually going on. You big superheroes don't really focus on this because you're too worried about the other stuff. This is really bad, too. And talking about Machine Head and everything he's got going on, I love that he also, like talking about Titan here, he had this plan that while, yeah, he that was a messed up thing to do to Mark, you look back on it and you're like, I don't know. I see why he would do it, and I cannot say that I would not do the same thing under his circumstances. It's one of those, like, villain plans that really makes you go, I I get it. I get it, because now you're the kingpin. Can you do... It's a little bit like a... What was it? The end of Luke Cage Season 2. Yeah. Where Luke Cage takes over, and uh, Misty was like, why are you doing this? Why are you taking over for all the gangs? And Luke was basically going, I, I'm doing this because I got to. I think this is the way I can control it. I call it the Red Hood approach. Yeah. It's, well, kind of, sort of. <laughs> a, I, I won't say less murdery Red Hood <laughs> approach. And no, 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 no. I know Titans are still murder. <laughs> but, oh, um, yeah. That's what yeah. I'm saying. Maybe. I want to throw that out there. But um, yeah, I agree, I agree in everything. And when Titan is talking with a teleporter guy, I never can remember his name. Uh, but um, when he's talking with teleporter guy, he talks about how he's going to respect what Mark just gave him and everything. So there's still a bit of respect he has for Mark for making the decision. Like, yeah, no, I'm going to help. Like, we got we got to make this place better and everything. So it's like I respect Titan. Like he is like a character you can respect for taking like the low road, but he does it because it might be his only way. Yeah. And for Battle Beast, I put him on here just because of the introduction coming out of nowhere and him immediately feeling like an... I don't know where he lands. And I again, Drew, I know you're the comic guy, so I don't want you to respond to it. But he feels immediately like an S-tier level power. All, all I'm gonna say is that he does reappear. He does reappear. He even gets some. He even gets some more moments where you're going to see him, like you're gonna see where he lands strength wise. And I don't think okay. you're gonna be disappointed, Taylor. I I don't think so either, considering where he is here. And another thing is they don't really explain where he came from or anything, except for he wants a good fight. And the only reason he leaves is he feels that he has embarrassed his, quote, competition uh, enough, and they are not worthy anymore. So he just dips out. It's like, like I can, it's like, I can, it, 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 it's like, it's like seeing the champion walk in and he's like, I thought I was here, I thought I was here to face some heavy hitters. Turns out I found the lightweights. You go all trash. Good day to you, sir. Bye. It's just, it was so badass how he just beat the shit out of everybody. I was just like, yeah, y'all ain't worth it. All right, I'm out. And then the Guardians, that's the only reason they really, like, if the Guardians had to face him again, too, after they had their motivation, like, adrenaline moment, seeing everybody get destroyed, 
They wouldn't have beat Battle Beast. Yeah, and that's when they started working as a team as well. That was like, yeah. oof. Uh, number two for me is Omni Man because of the inner conflict, because of the stuff he says, the fighting, like all that was a plus there. And like I said, it's gore, it's saying ridiculous stuff with purpose. There's a character arc being done here, and I cannot wait to see what that character arc is and how it ends up going. Great villain, and I'm curious to see how his story's going to go. And I hope it's going to go the way of Vader by the end. Uh, I think we're getting to the end of the podcast, so I do want to mention this last thing with Omni-Man. I also do love when he's killing the Guardians of the Globe. He really underestimates Red Rush. Who's the MVP of that fight? And then you see throughout the rest of the season why he underestimated him. Because he thought that him and his girlfriend were like, ah yeah, they're just they're too they're drunks. They don't really know what they're doing. They're just they're always a mess anyways. He never thought anything of Red Rush. So watching that fight again, and then you're like, oh man, he's the MVP of this. Like he's saving everybody. He because he went after a mortal first. No, he should have went after the speedster. It is like really cool. Uh, in the comics, it oh, Omni Man takes them out really easily. In this one, it's more extended to show like, oh no, he really would have been beaten and everything. And I do, lo- and I do love that. And it also like I love how even when Omni Man finally gets down Red Rush, it's like the others are coming in and they're just ganging up on him, giving him the three piece combo. Ah, uh, it's like he really did underestimate the Guardians and everything. Yeah. And number one, it's Invincible. That's Mark. I love the characters who get their ass kicked, but they keep getting back up. That's why I love Spider-Man. That's why I love characters like Daredevil. I'm just always going to love these characters. It's just the underdog mentality. And one thing I do love about Invincible, too, is that both him and Omni-Man, they pull off the Superman trope there, like, oh, this all-powerful thing. But they also do a smart thing to where they don't give them too many powers. Yeah, no heat vision, no freeze ray. Yeah, it's enough to where it's like, okay, they're the most powerful being on Earth, but they're not too OP to where they can't get hit. And that's not a shot to Superman. Like, we've seen Superman get hit and get beat. Oh, but he dies just, twice. It's Yeah, it's just, it's harder to write, and it's unnecessary when you don't have to, right? So that's smart by Robert Kirkman and everybody who created the character of Omni-Man to be like, look, we want to make a Superman character, but we don't have to go out of our way to make him exactly like Superman because now we would have to work harder to write fight scenes where he takes damage. So I'm just saying that as a, like, hey, get on the creators there for not putting yourself <laughs> in harder positions to write fight scenes. And for same thing with Invincible. He's the same power set as Omni-Man. And because of that, you can see him get his ass kicked a lot. And feels like, oh yeah, he's just learning. He's a teenager. And it doesn't feel like, oh, he's just Superman Jr. So, great character. I love the ideology of the character. His character arc, Stephen Yoon, is fantastic in the role. And, like, there's talk of a live-action movie. I don't know if I want to see it. Just because I don't know if I can imagine right now anybody else playing Mark Grayson. 
I, I really don't want to see it, mostly because I'm sick of, like, things needing to be in live action to somehow be accepted by the American public. It's like, animation is yeah. treated with respect. I don't want to just even say it like American. I would also just say, like, I'm not one of those people who's into anime or animation entirely either, but it does feel like a bit of a Western thing entirely. To whereas there are people out there who are like, yeah, it's animated, I don't know. Just, it's not real movie or real television. Hmm. That That's what I kind of mean there. I don't think it's strictly like, oh yeah, it's just the US. No, I think it's just a Western thing entirely to where it's, it's coming along, but it's taking time. I think it's being more and more accepted. And I think Spider-Man's a big reason. It's just Spider-Verse. Oh yeah. It's a big reason why it's becoming more accepted. Because I think a lot of people watch that and went, damn, that was as good as... Like, for them, real movies. Absolutely, it's because we went a long time where there was, like, one animated movie coming out every, like, couple of years. Because Disney was focusing on its MCU and Star Wars stuff. So, it's like, I feel like, I feel like when it, its absence was felt, people realized that they actually did like it. And it's, like, and it's also this whole thing where it's, like, for some reason, it's, like, we associate animation with, with mostly kids' stuff. And it's like, no, animation's a medium, not a genre. Yeah. There's levels to it. You could have an animated kids movie, like, and then there's animated kids movies that you watch and you're like, oh, that doesn't feel like a kids movie. Example, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. <laughs> yeah, kid, uh, let's talk about your inevitable death. Yeah, damn. Damn writing team, y'all good over there? <laughs> <laughs> Besides the point. Uh, yeah, it's, I just think it's a cultural, uh, maybe, I think that might be the best way to put it. Like a yeah, cultural it's a cultural thing. thing. I think it's becoming more and more, like, I'm not saying, like, oh, just younger people are starting to accept it more. I think older people are starting to accept it more as well. So, it's just one of the things that's, it's good to see that movies like Into the Spider-Verse have propelled animation to me. For mm. mass audiences to be like, you know what? This is a medium that could be explored further. And not everything has to be in live action. Because you're right. I don't know if Invincible works in live action. It's just one of those properties. Like, can you imagine a Legend of Zelda movie or television show that is live action? Not really. <laughs> not really. Like, if that were to ever happen, it's got to be animated. Like, we saw how a Mario movie went live action. We saw how it went when it was animation. Which one, audiences, do you prefer? And some, desi- and some designs just lend themselves to animation, whereas other designs yeah. lend themselves to live action. There's a reason why when you put superheroes on the big screen, most of them have to armorize their superhero suits. Mm-hmm. And, if, and one of the reasons why is because if you have the spandex or whatever, just calling a spade a spade here, it looks stupid. Yeah. It looks bad. Like, some suits just look bad in live action. And then they try to make it look cool in the leathery suits. And <laughs> Talking about I'm, X-Men here. I'm going I'm I'm to uh, just put I'm just gonna just put this out there. Leather does not look good in real life. It only looks good in animation. And that Early <laughs> Arrowverse is another culprit here. Or the... God. <laughs> just... Grant Gustin and Stephen Amell, I bet they were fucking sweating. Yeah. <laughs> and it's every day. And the irony is, is that the longer the shows went on, the more they tried to make it, 
work instead of keeping to the theme of hey let's change the suits to be more like they were made in the real world that they went straight to trying to make them uh to to make them uh look like the comic book stuff and they look ridiculous yeah some of the suits look good though but that's what i'm saying though we're talking about the animation it's like it really works for invincible because not only that all the blood that you see in the show or just throwing the boy the boys out there again i think the boys makes it work but there are sometimes i think people will watch and be like man that's a lot of blood that's a lot that might be too much for me Whereas you can watch it in animation, and I think it's easier to digest, right? Yeah. So you're not even putting people, like, you're taking that out for people to where they don't even have to think in their head because they're automatically like, oh, it's animation. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah. There's a, there is a middle ground. I like to call that middle ground the Kill Bill, uh, the kill bill meter. Mm-hmm. Oh, the, the talk good about the boys. I think the boys handles that very well. Yeah. The Kill Bill meter. I know where you're going, where it's just like, oh, there's so much blood. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, but it's like, eventually you'll, eventually you'll find that middle ground that um, allows it to be. And Kill Bill mostly uses it for, like, the pleb fights, not, like, the big fights. Yeah. But, yeah, that was a good conversation there about animation and how it's being more accepted. And I think we're also seeing that with Invincible. And its popularity since season one dropped. Thank God. Also, because people were clamoring for season two, two years. Yeah. <laughs> two years. And we're finally getting it, all right? We're finally getting it. I have waited so long to see them bring back my series, my comic turned animation. You have no idea. You got anything else to talk about before we wrap up? I think we covered a lot. I think we covered a lot, but um, I think the last thing I'll, I think the last thing I'll say is just. Everyone, hopefully this comes out before season two drops, but if it doesn't, uh, I mean, if it, I mean, if it does, it'll be, I think a week or two before. Okay. If it, if this comes out before season two and you're listening around that time, hold on to your butts. Cause season two, if season one blew your mind, season two is going to make you explode. Well, uh, we are glad that you have listened to us talk for this long about invincible. Oh yeah. Um, this is a just the last thing I'll say about the show. This is a near perfect season with one complaint, and that being the romance plot just gets unraveled by the end. That's unfortunate, but I still feel like they can make it right in season two. Other than that, I the only other nitpick I think I can say is yeah, sometimes the animation isn't strongest, but then you get to the finale, and that's where it feels like a lot of it went the budget. And it was a good call to put it there because you needed the budget to be the train very high for that finale. <laughs> you needed to put out all the stops for that finale, and they did. Like it's one of the best finales in television to me, uh, especially for a season one. And from the com- and from the commercial from season two, it looks like that they got the Amazon definitely gave them more money. <laughs> oh yeah, I bet they did. And I think. In terms of, we, we just had this long conversation about animation and live action, right? Regardless of animation or live action, I would consider Invincible Season 1 to be among the best, like if you're talking like best seasons of all time. Like some people will put Lost Season 1 up there. One of the early Game of Thrones seasons, I would say probably Season 3. Um, what are some other ones out there? 
Community season two. Ooh, that's a good one. Um, trying to think of some uh, beloved television shows. Daredevil season three. Whatever you want to put on the top, like best seasons of television of all time, I think Invincible season one belongs. For me, near the top of that list, but it belongs on that list. I'm a little biased, but for me, it belongs on the top. Yeah. Breaking Bad, it's final season. I think that deserves to be on there as well. Uh, but yeah, for that's what I'm saying. Like, regardless of the genre or its format, Invincible season one is a top tier show. Um, and I cannot wait for season two. Drew, you got any parting words before we wrap up? Um, nope. I'm good. I think I've said all I need to say. Otherwise, I'm going to go into a tangent. Well, let's get out of here. Man, this was a long one. I knew it was going to be a long one. Because there was a lot of stuff to talk about. And I felt like I was doing a lot of talking. Sadly, I'm sorry. Yeah. But, Drew, what are you working on? And where can people find you? So, um... Just gonna like scroll through mine quickly. You can find me at Drew Garrison underscore on Instagram or Twitter, and currently working on my YouTube channel. You can find me in the writer's room. Yeah, so just check check us out. By this, it's like by this point, hopefully, it's like we I have my DC um, best looks episode up, and hopefully, I have some more stuff on the social medias. But uh, busy man, guys, busy man. I'm sorry I can't upload consistently. Be sure to check all that out. As for me, I am not on any of the socials, but you can find me in our Discord server for these podcasts. The link to our Discord is in the description of this episode. Join us. Talk about some Invincible with us. Obviously, we love to talk about Invincible. We love to talk about all sorts of things in the nerd realm, whether it be anime for Drew, whether it be superhero content for me. Whether it be video games for me as well, Andrew. There's a lot of stuff with, around the video game genre going on. I've been forced to play Cyberpunk 2077 when its DLC came out. Uh, I have opinions. I have a lot of opinions. Oh, oh okay. Oh, well, it's a hot take potentially. Because I played it recently, I thought it was really good. But besides the point... Uh, uh- like quick, quick, quick take from me. Phantom Liberty on its own is very good. the The rest of the game, I I have opinions. Hmm. Well, join our Discord and <laughs> figure out what those opinions are. Apparently, uh, other than that, what else we got here? I'm trying to think things to plug. We do have a Patreon. If you wish to support us there. We're not going to lock any podcast content for good behind a paywall, but we might put some episodes early behind uh, the Patreon tiers. And we just wanted to have a place where if you want to support us, you can. So we appreciate you, regardless if you support us on Patreon or if you just listen to us. Um, lastly, be sure to check out thenerdsesh.com for all sorts of news in the world of gaming, movies, television, and so much more. We just had a recent site redesign of thenerdsesh.com. As I said on Power Up and Game, it looks great. It looks beautiful. All right. I say respectfully. So <laughs> be sure to check it out. I want to thank Drew for joining me. I want to thank any of you for listening in. 
We will be back next week with a brand new episode. We'll be right back.